Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. Welcome to episode 25. Our special guest is Drew King. Hi, Drew King, and welcome to Broadway's Backbone. Thank you, Brad Bradley. How are you today? I'm great, how are you? So, uh, you're an award winner, right? It's the Astaire Award, correct? Yes, I am an Astaire Award winner with my three Porter counterparts, uh, Richard Riaz-Yoder, Philip Atmore, and Rick Falgio. The four of us together won an ensemble, or Best Male Ensemble Award. Uh, a stair award for on the 20th century this past Broadway season. That is fantastic. Did you each get an individual one or did they rip yeah, it Yeah, we did. We had our own with our, our names engraved and it's sitting on a shelf above my bed next to my bamboo plants. It's that really is good. really wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. So the road to getting your Broadway debut, which was last season and yes. on the 20th century, uh, wasn't like a normal road. It was uh, tougher than people would think it is. Yes, it was, uh, it was tricky and very arduous and... Uh, for me, took a chunk of time. So, yes. Well, great. Well, we're definitely going to talk about that. Let's talk about it. <laughs> uh, but this is actually going to be a, a different episode uh, than normal. Uh, when I got the idea for doing this episode, I was actually up in Maine. Not this episode, this podcast. Mm-hmm. I was up in Maine visiting my uh, adopted Maine family, the Kingstons. The Kingstons, who yes. you definitely know. <laughs> and they were obsessed with the Broadway channel. And they, I was listening going, God, they should talk about the people in the ensemble. And the girls just suggested, well, Brad, why don't you do it? Well, fast forward, uh, Sirius Radio and Broadway Channel turned me down. So I'm doing it myself. (laughs) Well, here we are. Here we are. (laughs) And so the girls were in town recently, so I took a meeting with them. Mm -hmm. What's that song Beyonce does? Who runs the world? Girls. Girls. Yeah. It's it's called Girls. Run the world or runs the world. world. Girls. It should be called Teenage Girls because Teenage (laughs) Girls run the world. Absolutely. So I took a meeting with them and first they said I had to get on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So I did. But they said I needed to do an episode that was a little more uh, basic so that people who don't know what show business is, how to get your union card, how you do this, moving to New York, leaving home. Your Broadway 101. Broadway 101. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Drew. (laughs) And then at Idiot's the, Guide to Making It on Broadway, yes. yes. And then at the end of the conversation, Jenny, their lovely mother, said, and you should interview Drew King. I love Jenny. I know. So. I love them all. That family is a very special family. And for those listening, you, if you are ever in Kenny Bunkport, Maine, it's on the southern coast of Maine, <laughs> you need to go up there and get what is proclaimed the best lobster roll in the entire country. Um, yeah. Brad can um, definitely oh, back me up on shack. this. Oh, at the Clam Shack, yes, they have the best lobster rolls in the entire country. Yeah. So, so I wouldn't be doing this podcast without their inspiration. <laughs> so I'm going to do what the whole family tell me: interview you and Here talk about are. Broadway 101. <laughs> so let's start with uh, where you got started and where you're from. All right, I am originally from Central Massachusetts. Um, I moved around a lot. I lived in like four different towns. But, yeah, so I say Worcester County. So if anyone out there knows Massachusetts, it's very centrally located, Worcester County. And I got started, um, I wasn't a dancer as a kid, um, and I did vocal, sorry, I guess I started with music. I started with saxophone when I was in elementary school. And then from there, I went into middle school and started doing choir. And from there, went to high school, sang in all the honors choirs, did all the plays, the musicals. Wasn't a dancer, but got more or less my theater training 
my very um, early on stage uh, theater training in high school, I guess, um, and also made some of my best friends in high school. Uh, and that's where it all started. So were you teased? Yeah. I asked this to everyone. Uh, were you teased <laughs> and made fun of? For, I guess if you were singing, not so much. You know, I was not, shockingly enough. I was, and the interview's over. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I wasn't really teased that much. I was teased for being gay, um, even though I wasn't out at the time. I came out when I was a junior in high school, um, and it was the second that I came out. Nobody made fun of me ever again. Nobody said anything. It was, which is funny, because people made fun of me leading up to that, but after that, everything went away, and I became like a thousand times more popular because of it, which is very strange. Well, because so, you were brave, and you were well, and it was also yourself. Massachusetts. So <laughs> right. I was very fortunate, very fortunate in that respect. But um, no, and the funny thing is I always wanted to be a dancer. Ever since I was a kid, I remembered watching, my mom sat me down and made me watch West Side Story and A Chorus Line and Oklahoma and all these, these musical movies and I loved them. Cool mom. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, my mother's name is Nanette and she was named after the musical No, No, Nanette. So there you go. Wow. Um, so I guess it is, <laughs> it's fate. It's fate. But, um, anyway, so I always wanted to be a dancer but never had the opportunity or the finances, and I think I also was terrified that if I went into dance class, people would think I was gay. And so I was scared to be a boy dancer as a kid, and I never did it until I moved to the city, really. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was a boy dancer as a kid and got teased all the time. I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care. <laughs> I wanted to be. I just never had the opportunity. I, my dad put me into sports, so I did soccer, I did t-ball, I did hockey. Um, I was terrible at them all. I was so bad. But, uh, I, yeah, I but did it for a few it. years. Yeah. So. You did it. That's amazing I didn't, that you didn't start dancing until, you're as good as you are, and you didn't start dancing until oh, you were in college. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, most people start so young. Yeah, they do. And that, that's uh, been a huge challenge for me. And every day, as crazy as it sounds, is still a challenge for me. Um, in auditions and in class, I still feel like I'm playing catch-up. So... Yeah, it's been, it's been a journey, but I love it, and I'm so happy that um, fate brought me to New York, and I think a lot of things serendipitously fell into my lap and the connections that I made, and especially when it comes to my training. So, And did you go to college for musical theater? I did not, which is another interesting aspect of my story. Oh, do tell <laughs> me, tell me, tell me. Um, I wanted to be, uh, I remember in high school, I desperately wanted to be a musical theater major, and I remember being so excited all throughout college, I just, or high school, I knew that that's the path I wanted to take. I wanted to be a musical theater major, and I couldn't wait to get all my applications out, to go to all of my auditions, and I had scheduled everything more or less on my own. I, I was very independent, um, and I was also very um, OCD about my college applications, so I had manila folders, and everything was color-coded, and it was printed, and I remember my, uh, my college counselor in high school said to my mom, he said, wow, he's, your, your son's not going to have a problem with college at all. He's going to be perfectly fine. And he's totally set with all of his applications. He's the last person we'd ever worry about. And uh, long story short, I applied to eight universities for musical theater. Um, eight? Uh, eight, actually, so it was uh, six for musical theater and two for acting. Um, and I got rejected from every single program I applied to across the board. Um, and I was devastated, and I didn't know what to do. And my world kind of crumbled as an angsty 16 or 17 year old boy. Oh, uh, yes. So, and it felt like everybody had just shut the door on me and I didn't know what to do. And I wanted to be a musical theater major, especially because I knew that I didn't really have 
legitimate training. I took voice lessons in high school and I was in the choir and so I could sing harmonies, blah, 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 but I didn't really have legitimate acting training. I had hardly any dance training. A friend of mine, her mom owned a dance studio in my senior year, she let me take a few dance classes. Um, so that's where I first learned my ballet positions and my shuffles and collapse, but so, um, yeah, I really wanted to be a theater major to get that training. Um, and then all of a sudden, everybody told me no, so I kind of freaked out for a little bit. Um, so, ultimately, I, I ended up applying to Fordham University here in New York City in Lincoln Center for the acting program. Rejected from the theater program, but I was accepted academically. So I decided, well, I guess I'm gonna go there, or Marymount Manhattan is the other school that I was accepted to for liberal arts. So I ended up just packing my bags after graduating high school, and I came to New York as a terrified 18-year-old boy who had not really any training. And I remember falling in love with New York the second that I got here. I always knew I loved New York and I wanted to be here. But I remember walking around Lincoln Center and thinking, oh my God, there's this incredible thing here, being Broadway. Yes. And I want to make this happen so bad, but I literally have nothing to offer. I remember thinking I have no skills to offer to make this happen. And I kind of freaked out and I didn't know what to do. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's a long-winded story. No, it's a great but, story. Yeah. Did your parents say you could move to New York at 18? I know my mom, I went to school in LA. I wanted to go to school okay. in New York, mm -hmm. but my mom was like, absolutely not. Wow. But I also think I wasn't mature enough at 18 mm -hmm. to be in New York City. I would have been so distracted. How are you with that, and how are your um, parents with that? My parents were great. My mom was super excited for me to go. Um, she I don't wanted really me out of the house. She wanted me out. <laughs> um, I don't really think that my parents had any issue with it. They were super thrilled for me to go to New York um, and to see what happened. Um, I think they... Yeah, my parents really never... I don't know. I was kind of a fearless kid and they didn't really care. They weren't worried about crime or drugs. And I never really dabbled much in alcohol. I don't really do drugs at all, so that was never. Right. And, I, and I, I knew, also my parents are um, recovering alcoholics, so I was around that as a kid. I understand what it means to be, to, I guess, <laughs> for, I guess more or less those D.A.R.E. programs kind of work for me. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, I, I wasn't like worried about coming to New York and like being a crazy rager and drinking and partying and going nuts. I mean, of course those uh, yeah, opportunities and distractions are here. <laughs> it's better I didn't move here. They're all here for some reason. I don't know, it's just kind of, uh, I fell into a really wonderful group of friends at school. Um, and I also, I think what was fortunate for me is that I had a goal. I had something I wanted to do. Right. And any other, like anything else that would have taken me away from that, um, I just pushed aside, so. Well, also, New York isn't as scary as it used to be. It's no, not. it's not. And it's not as scary as the movies make it. Exactly. I know when I was in high school, a, a girl who was a modern dancer moved to New York. Mm -hmm. She came back and spoke to us in high school, and we asked for advice, and she said, always have $5 in your pocket <laughs> to give to the muggers. Wow. And I was like, what? <laughs> this terrifying. is where I want to go? And it's <laughs> like, I've never, I've been here for yeah. 20 years. I've never been mugged. I mean, it's... If you're in the right areas, there's no reason to go to the areas where it's dangerous. So yeah. I think it's, it is a completely different world. Absolutely. Especially if you're an 18 year old girl, Shay, moving here <laughs> to go to Columbia. I think it's a whole different world than it was back in, yeah. in my youth. Granted, I also was living in Lincoln Center, which is beautiful oh, and it, like, I know, I know, it's so bougie. Um, and right next to like the Metropolitan Opera House, that was my campus more or less, because Fordham is one tiny block of a campus. 
Oh, and that's okay. all we have. I mean, they have their main campus up in the Bronx, which is stunning. That campus is beautiful. But um, down here in Lincoln Center, it's one block, and that's it. So more or less, Manhattan had become my campus and my community, which was super thrilling and exciting as an 18-year-old. Oh, yes. So, so did you start taking classes on your own outside? So this is what happened. I remember, so uh, Fordham also has the joint BFA program with Alvin Ailey. So a lot of my classmates were all there as dance majors. And uh, there was another friend of mine who has, uh, she's a dancer with Radio City and she's been with them for about six or seven years now. Beautiful, beautiful dancer. Um, and we were both freshmen together at Fordham. And she also um, was not a dance major. So we kind of bonded over that. I wasn't a theater major, she wasn't a dance major, but we both wanted to do performing arts for a profession. And I remember um, she one day said, if you want to be a dancer on Broadway, you have to get into dance class. I said, I know, I'm just so terrified, I'm so intimidated to go to, like, to Steps or Broadway Dance Center, I can't even imagine doing it. So she said, one day, you have no choice, pack your bags, you're coming with me and you're taking a ballet class at Broadway Dance Center. I thought I was going to puke everywhere because I was so terrified and so intimidated. And she brought me, this is my friend Daniela, she brought me to Broadway Dance Center, freshman year, and I took that ballet class, and immediately after I went to the front desk, got a work study application, that was on a Thursday, and then that following Saturday, I went in for my first work-study training. It was like the quickest turnover, and um, before I knew it, I was, t I think I was taking like six classes a week um, at that point, and then from there, I established a really great relationship with a lot of the administrative staff there, who now, to this day, I still consider my family. Um, they're kind of like my second set of parents. Um, and siblings in the city, which is great. Absolutely. And so by my junior year of college, I was working there full-time at Broadway Dance Center, um, which uh, was wonderful because then I got free dance classes. Nice. So that was my, that was my sneaky trick. Um, and by the time I was a junior, I was taking, I, I don't know if Broadway Dance Center is listening, but I was probably taking way too many more classes than I was allowed to be taking. <gasps> so, oh. But... Um, and I even had gotten to the point where... Um, it paid off. It did. And I, I scheduled all of my Fordham academic classes on Tuesday, Thursdays, so that I would go from class to like 8 in the morning till 6, um, which sucked when I had finals, because then I would have like six finals in a row on the same day. Oh. But um, it was great, because it left me five days a week to do nothing but take class and work. So there was... I mean, I'm not exaggerating. There were points where I was taking like 20 classes a week. So it was just like, I had to make up for it. So How I did, did that. How did your body hold up on that? Um, I was, I didn't care. I had never, I'd never been happier. That's where I wanted to be every single day. Like even when I was in my academic classes, the only thing I could think about was, I just want to be in class right now. I want to be working on this. I want to be working on my body and making something happen. And so, yeah. And then even once I graduated, I graduated 2009 and I didn't get my first professional gig until 2011. So for really? about two years, that's all I did. I was in dance class every single day. Uh, so I know what, it's interesting. A lot of people get caught in that trap. I'm not saying you do. Mm -hmm. But when I, I'm scared to go to Broadway Dance Center still now to this day <laughs> because people are like, God, how does he get hired? Because you have so many insecurities. Oh, yeah. Um, but you see these people that are unbelievable, mm -hmm. but you've never seen them at an audition. That's they, true. They yeah. become professional class takers yeah. or... And it's so it's uh, that's always a, also a trap that you yeah. like. I have a good friend that is like, ah, oh, I've never booked a Broadway show. I was like, have you ever auditioned for one? He's like, no, but I'm not ready. I need to keep <laughs> taking classes, and it's yeah. it's also you can fall into that rut. And I was definitely there for a little bit, but 
also, like I said, I feel like I'm always playing catch up. I mean, it's, it's still to this day, it's, um, I get really bad audition anxiety. I'm so anxious to go to auditions because I'm surrounded by these beautiful Broadway boys who A, are like more muscular than me and they have 18,000 more credits than I do. And they've also been dancing since they were four or five. And then they also did the competition circuit and they can do 18, 18 pirouettes and then a tilt and then switch leaps. And that's just not, that, that was never my background. That was never my growth. My, um, that's not what I grew up doing. So it's still intimidating. I admire them and I strive to, even, even at 29, I still strive to get better and improve. Um, but it's, it's terrifying to be around those people sometimes. So. Oh, I agree. But you also have but, to realize that you offer something completely different. And what yes. you have is not what they have. And they're going to be looking for you sometimes. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Are you, are you ever going to start giving yourself a break and not be less anxious? <laughs> no, I'm just saying in general. Because I, I wish I could I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> no, it's always a work in progress. Yeah. But sometimes you have to get to the point of you can't compare yourself to other people. Yeah, and that's actually one of my biggest challenges, I think, is I always compare myself to other people. But you're exactly right that everybody in this business is unique, and you always everybody brings something different to the table, but it's so hard to remember that on a daily basis. But it's a, it's, I guess it's a meditation practice and just reminding yourself that you have to... You have to be true to yourself and understand that you are unique and bring something special that somebody right. else does not. Well, just so. this is an example. I went yeah. in for Holiday Inn, and when I heard that you were in, went in, I was like, oh, he's younger, he's cuter, he just did a tap You're show, got an award, he's going to get called back. And like, but you did get a call back, and I did it. Not in a bad way, but I'm just saying, like, you have to realize, oh, this, they're looking for something else. And I had to realize, oh, it's not that I'm not good, I'm just not what they're looking for. And what they're looking for is Drew King. Uh, universe. I'm putting it out to the universe. I mean, if, if you want to manifest that oh, for me. Oh, I'm manifesting but. it right now. So how did you get your equity card? My equity card. So I um, am a rare case that I simultaneously got my equity card through the EMC Point program. I fulfilled my 50 weeks almost at the exact same time that I booked um, my first City Center Encore show, and they offered me my equity card off the bat. So um, I guess I yeah it was from both at the same time so I did a contract where they offered it to me up front but also I thought uh, City I Center fulfilled... was Agnes no City Center is equity wow yep. well I have a question for you yes. I have no idea what the EMC program is let me break it down <laughs> so, um, so I I know that for some people it's controversial um, just because of course the, the union non-union debate and argument that's going on right now and has been going on for years um, I mean, I am very grateful for that program because it allowed me, basically at the end of the day, 50 weeks of working with incredible professionals um, when I basically had no experience. So uh, more or less what you do to, to join the EMC program, when you get a job at an equity house, they are allowed to hire a certain amount of non-equity performers. There's usually every, depending on what theater it is and where they are and I guess the size of it and how much money they make, there's a ratio of how many equity performers to non-equity performers you can hire. Um, and when you're at an equity house, you, the non-equity performers are allowed to enroll in the EMC program. So for every one single week that you work in an equity house, you get one point. 
Um, and in order to buy into the union and take your equity card, you have to have 50 points, which means working 50 weeks. Okay. So I first joined the EMC program at the Goodspeed Opera House in Connecticut. Um, and another thing about Goodspeed, which is wonderful, um, for non-equity performers, they will also offer you your equity card after your contract is over. Because the contracts there usually last about three and a half months, they'll give you your equity card right at the end of your um, at the end of your contract. So for the last two weeks, you re-sign a contract and then you work on an equity performance contract, oh, okay. nice. which is great. Um, and I was very, very, very close to book, uh, sorry, very close to taking my equity card um, after Goodspeed. And I had, uh, I had a final callback for White Christmas at Paper Mill. And I was so close to taking my equity card and I was very much on the fence about it. I was scared to join the union. I didn't know if I had enough experience, if I was ready. Um, and fortunately, um, a casting the casting director from Bender Casting, um, Jason Styers, gave me a call, and he said, "Hey, I heard that you're maybe taking your equity card. However, Paper Mill has a non-equity swing contract, and we are considering you for that. So, would you consider not taking your equity card in order to do it?" And of course, I said yes because it was Randy Skinner, and it had always been a dream. And actually, Randy's the reason why I started tap dancing. So it was it was I was so excited to work with Randy Skinner. And I kind of took that as like a sign from the universe that, hey, maybe you're not ready to take your equity card right now and let some other opportunities fall into your lap before you take it. And everything kind of fell into place and worked out. So I'm so grateful to Jason for making that call um, and kind of uh, more or less advising me not to take my card so that I could work at Paper Mill, um, which is another incredible theater and another beautiful theatrical experience that I had. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. So um, did you have to wait around a lot at equity calls? Because sometimes the equity members seem first and then they wait all, you wait all day to get in to see something and you don't get seen. Um, well, I <laughs> another reason why I wanted to be a dancer because I learned that early on um, the dancers have it a little bit more easy when it comes to the dan uh, to like ECCs and EPAs. Especially men. Especially being a man, uh, being a man. Um, and I will, I 100% I will say that. Um, it can be a little bit easier for men. Um, and I, for the, I was actually very fortunate. I feel that for the most part, when I went to, being non-equity, when I went to an ECC, I almost always got seen, which is wonderful. Um, and I know that's not the case for a lot of um, female dancers out there. So I know a lot of those non-equity female dancers probably hate me right now. <laughs> well, yes, but, they, yes, they do. Um, but even yeah. an EPA, which is an equity principal mm -hmm. audition, I mean, even a union member, uh, I remember when I first moved here, I would have to stand in line for two hours yes. in the cold and the rain and walk up the yeah. hill. No, but I seriously would. No, and I've been there, to yes. Get a, to get a spot. Uh -huh. And people would get there really early to get a 10 a.m. spot because they had to be at, do a lunch shift. Exactly. And then yeah. I guess if you're non-union, you just wait around all day to the possibility. Yep. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely did that for like some of the, I've never actually, this is embarrassing, I've never actually been to an EPA. What? I know, I know. <laughs> I think I just, I just consider myself a chorus kid and I love being in the chorus. No, absolutely. Um, so I want to be a gypsy um, and I've always wanted to be that. So, um, I mean, I don't know, maybe, who knows what the future holds, however. Absolutely, no, but that's why you're on this podcast, because you're a gypsy. Well, thank you. Yes. Um. But we used to put a sign up when you're in a long run, and someone would be grouchy and be like, you need to go to the EPA. <laughs> Just to walk in and see how fortunate you are that you have oh, a yeah. job. Exactly. When you see these people that are so talented, so you're hungry, so right. Absolutely. and, you know what I mean, can't even get seen or something. Yeah. But I, I do remember being non-union and going to... 
um, ECC singer calls, and those were rough because you would I would there were plenty of days where I would sit around and I'd get there at ten because I knew it wasn't going to get seen. So I would sit and I would put my name on that unofficial list, and I would sit around till five or six, and then they would take all the non-union boys and they'd bring us in a room. They would type us in or out, and then you would sing your maybe eight bars because they didn't want to hear anything you had to say. And so yeah, I've been there, and that was a lot of reading and <laughs> a lot of. Uh, listening to my iPod on shuffle for hours on end. Lots of podcasts, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> oh, good. Good, good. But, so you didn't have this podcast then? No, I didn't. I wish I did. So what did you have to do work-wise? I mean, how are you surviving? I have been so fortunate with some really wonderful survival jobs. Um, I currently, at the moment, work as a personal assistant for this beautiful artist who lives up in the Bronx. Um, and she's somebody who I met when I worked out at Paper Mill. Um, another weird twist of fate, um, the guy who was the drummer on Newsies, um, when it first played Paper Mill, um, was then asked to play the drums for The Pit on Broadway, and he also, he comes from a finance background, basically, and then after, I think, like, 20 or 30 years working in, like, computer programming and finance, quit that, and he was like, screw this, I want to be a drummer, and he had always been a musician, but he took a more, um, responsible route, I guess, at a younger age, um, and then now, later, like, later on in life, he's like, I just want to be a performer, or I want to drum. So he was the drummer in Newsies on Broadway, but had also been the drummer for Newsies on um, White Christmas at Paper Mill. And we had become friends, and they announced during the White Christmas run that Paper, uh, Newsies was going to Broadway, and he had simultaneously found out as well. So he, we had got to chatting, and he said, hey, I have this really great gig working as a personal assistant. You seem very... Um, like organized because I was also the swing on White Christmas. Mm. So he was like, I see your charts, I see your notes, you're incredibly organized, I think you'd be great for this job, you're good with computers, would you be willing to come in and interview? And I said, absolutely not, I'm busy, it's audition season, <laughs> I already have other jobs, I don't want to do it. And he kept like harassing me and hounding me. And so the contract ended and even like a month later, he still was texting me and was like, hey, I haven't found anybody, would you just give it a shot and come in and interview with this lady? I think you'd really like her. So I was like, okay, just to get him off my back, I, I went downtown to this woman's apartment on 23rd Street. She lived in this beautiful loft across from the Home Depot at that time. Um, and I remember going up in the elevator and I walked in and it was this unbelievable loft just flooded with art, art everywhere. And she had like coffee brewing and I just, I fell in love immediately. And she's um, this older woman and she moved to New York when she was, I think like, 14, and one of her first roommates was Carol Burnett, which is crazy. Oh my god. And so, and she was a full scholarship student at uh, Cooper Union when Cooper Union used to only be scholarship students. So anyway, um, I'm, I'm being long-winded, but more or less, um, I work with her now as a, uh, like, I'm a personal assistant to her, I help her out with, um, she's, uh, she struggles, she gets frustrated with her, um, with like the computer and technology, so... I kind of am there to help her with those things and oh, you word man. processing and editing. So, oh. well, the first time so. I ever really came in contact with you was one of my survival jobs as a personal assistant. Mm -hmm. I was doing a Carol Channing event. Yes, that's right. And you recorded a question to ask Carol, yes, Carol Channing. I did. I did. And that was the first time yeah. that I was like, oh, mm -hmm. it's all pieces together. Yeah. But they're important because New York is really expensive. It's very expensive. Do you live in Manhattan? I live in Manhattan. Because I've always lived in Queens, and I found that living in Queens is cheaper. And yeah, and well, and not <laughs> even just that, but I think a lot of people that I come in contact with, they move to New York, and then they get so caught up in um, 
paying their rent and living the New York lifestyle, mm-hmm. that they stop going to class and stop auditioning yes. just because they have to work so much to pay their rent. And it's well, such a trap. It is a trap. And that's why I, once again, I give a lot of credit to, like, I know it sounds cheesy, but like the universe and fate and what's meant to fall into place right. is what's meant to be. And I mean, Broadway Dance Time is another thing that literally just fell into my lap. And I, that's one of my other survival jobs that I had. I worked there almost full time for a long time. And with it came wonderful perks like meeting great choreographers who were teaching classes there that I got to know on a first name basis. So that helped me in the industry. And then also I got free classes. Yeah. So I would finish like I'd work 8.30 to 4.30 and then I would go straight into Josh Bergas's class. And then oh, like you know, do that, and then I go to ballet class, and then I go to tap class, and I'd be there all day long. So that was a survival job that allowed me to keep training and keep busy. So I even still like I, I give Broadway Dance Center a significant amount of credit for being where I am today, which so, is fantastic. Yeah, all those teachers and the, the administrative staff and faculty there are wonderful. So. I mean, because in, in order to book a job, you have to go to an audition. Absolutely. And how do you deal with this anxiety and this fear and this? <laughs> Because it's a huge thing. Yes, it is. Um, it's getting a little bit better, I guess. Um, but I, yeah, I still kind of panic a little bit. And for me, it's actually the holding room. Once I'm in the room, like the dance room, once we're about to dance, it, my anxiety kind of goes away because then I'm like, oh, I'm in dance class. I'm with my buddies. And at the end of the day, I think what's wonderful about going to auditions is that the more you work and the more you audition, the more you know the people that you're auditioning with. And... I think that uh, they become your friends and kind of like your coworkers, even though you're not working together because you're always in the same audition room together. Right. So once we're in the audition room, it, it's great and I'm not too stressed anymore. Like I'm not worried to sing, I'm not worried to dance. Even once we break down into smaller groups, I'm totally fine. It's, it's waking up that morning, taking a shower, putting my stuff together and then getting on the train. Usually on the train, I'm wicked anxious. And then walking into like, you know, you, like every studio has a smell. Like you, there's that Ripley Greer smell and that Pearl Studios smell and Chelsea Studios. Every, every studio has their certain smell and it kind of triggers that, it, that like rush of um, anxiety within me every time I walk in the building. But I mean, I kind of just have to breathe, um, not drink as much coffee in the morning. <laughs> um, and... I usually, what I do is I'll focus on like a friend that I see and I'll be like, you, I'm going to you and you're going to make me laugh. And there are certain people and they know who they are if they're even listening, but there are certain, like a few guys that I know they're really good at making me laugh. And anytime I go into an audition room, I look for them because they can make me laugh and forget about being anxious. And that helps me a lot. And I am forever grateful for those men because they always give me a chuckle. And it releases some of my anxiety before every audition. Absolutely. So, yeah. So now you're probably in the point in your career where you go to invited calls. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then some. Some invite. And invited calls are usually the casting director or the choreographer or the director invites mm-hmm. you. What about, do you have an agent? I do have an agent, yes. I'm with um, Block Talent Agency. And how did you go about finding an agent? Um, I uh, maybe. I don't know if it's my own insecurities or whatever, but I never, I actually never sought representation ever. Um, I never submitted myself to an agency. I kind of um, was of the school that I didn't want representation until somebody wanted me. Um, I guess because I also, I hustle and I know how to, I know the grind, I know how to pound the pavement and I didn't ever want to rely on, oh, I'm just going to get these appointments and I don't have to do any other work. So I kind of, 
was just, and I, I kind of wanted to use an agent as a supplement to what I already did. Um, and now it's wonderful because um, that's basically still what's happening. I still go to ECCs and I still go to open calls and I still show up to those open calls that everybody else can go to. But then hopefully I can, I, you know, I'll still get appointments from my agents and show up for those as well. But once again, it's another thing that truly just fell into my lap. Um, thanks again to Jason Styers at Finder Casting. When he, he cast me in um, uh, On Your Toes at City Center Encores, um, and almost like immediately after booking that, he passed over my headshot and resume to Block and said, hey, I have this kid, he's still non-union, but he's taking his card, he's gonna work at City Center Encores, you guys should sign him, he's lovely. And um, randomly, I was like at the gym one day and I got a phone call and my agent Megan was like, hey, this is Megan from Block. Uh, would you like to come in and meet with us? And I was like, oh, oh okay, how did that, sure, how did this, I don't even know how this happened. And they were so lovely from day one and um, went in and we hit it off and then they signed me and they've been lovely ever since. They're wonderful, wonderful, that is wonderful amazing. people. So. What a, I, mean, I, I love thank you cards. I mean, I'm old. Oh, but I mean, yes, yes, yes. Uh, so when you had a lot of good things like that, I mean, and you're also a really nice guy. So oh, thanks, Brad. No, you are. <laughs> but I mean, you also have to, like, do you follow, how do you follow up with people? How do you thank them? Um, I actually, <laughs> it's funny, I feel... You don't text them, do you? I do not, no. And I, 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 not, I, and I, don't, I don't want to email either. It's funny, I actually... Um, I, I, you can tell that I'm a bit long-winded right now in this podcast, <laughs> but I also am very long-winded in my thank you cards. Um, I'm the person that writes on the left, and then I write on the right, and then I flip it over and I write on the back, and sometimes I have to tear out a piece of paper and write. Wow. It's not necessary, and it's maybe self-indulgent, but I just, I'm, I'm just so incredibly grateful for the people who have gotten me where I am in this industry, and I, I, so many people have helped me and have taken a chance on this kid who doesn't really have any experience or didn't have experience and didn't have legitimate training. But you do now, you realize you yes, have, you yes, have to change your Yes, I am, I, I'm working on changing that mentality, but still, I mean, you have to, you have to be grateful for the people who have helped you and um, there are so many people who do that and I say yes, write thank you cards. And I love stationery as well. I love blank stationery and I love a pretty pen and I like putting pen to paper. It's very therapeutic. Yes. With a coffee and some nice music and writing a thank you card is a, like a really great way of putting wonderful energy out there. I, I agree, especially because yeah. people don't get them anymore. No, I agree. And so it's like you sent an email, like they might not even read it. So, yeah. I mean, postcards, people don't do those no. as much anymore. <laughs> no. But a thank you card, people actually open. Yeah, You know absolutely. who told me that? Karen Ziemba was like, if you oh. mail them something, do it in an envelope because they're going to think it's something special <laughs> and they have to open it. That's it, very smart. They're like, oh, but if it's a card, it, it sometimes doesn't, I mean, a postcard doesn't make it past the secretary. Oh, that's very you know? interesting. But uh, She's a smart lady. She is a smart lady. <laughs> so what came next before on the 20th century? Did you have a big hole in your career? I did, and I had a freak out. Yeah. Um, so I had encores. And then from there, I went and did practically an entire summer up in Maine at the Agunkwa Playhouse. Um, I've worked there four times now, three, three times, three times. I think I've worked there three times. Ah, um, I've only done two. I is, love it. it it's is, beautiful. It's my favorite. It's place heaven in the world. on yes. earth. Um, so yeah, so I did the entire summer at the Agunkwa Playhouse. I came back and then I did the national tour of Elf, um, and we were down in uh, we did Chicago and DC. It was a great tour with awesome people. Um, and then from there, I got back, and I went to, I remember being so excited because it was my first full audition as an equity member, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna like, 
I'm gonna go to every audition and I have these great credits and I was like, oh, I'm, I have like these things on my, I don't know, I was just, I felt super confident and I was super excited. Um, and for an entire audition season, and I'm not kidding, I'm not exaggerating, I was cut first round at everything, everything. And I freaked out because I said, oh my God, I'm back at square one. I'm still a terrible dancer. I'm still a terrible singer. I have no experience. Like no one's even looking at my resume. It doesn't matter. And I, I kind of lost it. And I was, um, one of my, speaking of other side gigs, um, I, I have this other side gig, which is wonderful, um, selling merchandise at these dance conventions. Um, with my, do you know Joey Dowling? She's also a dancer. She used no. to be a dancer. She was, I believe she was Andy Blankenbuehler's assistant or associate on In the Heights, and ah. she's done a few other Broadway shows, and she works for the convention circuit. Anyway, she has her own retail clothing line. It's called Joan Jacks, beautiful clothing. So I sell their merchandise at dance conventions. Been with them for also about four years. Um, but I just remembered like all week long I was auditioning, getting cut at everything, and then I was like hopping on a flight on Friday morning and going to like middle of nowhere America, like Houston or something, but like outside Houston at some hotel, yeah. and then selling booty shorts to these little kids. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> I can't even book a job and now I'm just selling booty shorts. What oh, am I doing? Trust me. I freaked out and, I, and I, I finally had one final callback, like one like callback, full callback. It was for, um, it was for a show at a gunkwood again, and I was so excited. I just wanted it so badly. Oh, yeah. And um, I didn't get it, and I was so upset, and it was, like, such a disappointment. But in, in perspective, I was like, it's fine. It's really not that big of a deal. But I was so crushed because I think also throughout the entire year, I had just gotten nothing, and I had been cut from everything. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, totally out of the blue, it was... Um, what was it? Oh, it was... I think it was, like, May... Maybe it was like May or June. Um, Radio City auditions were coming up the next day, and I had planned. I had written down on my planner, go to Radio City, Mar, go to Radio City. And my roommate at the time, or she's still my roommate, actually, my roommate Elise. She, um, I was trying to convince her to go to Radio City, but uh, she said, "No, there's this other audition I want to go to. This other audition." And I said, "Okay, well, you should really go to Radio City. You're fabulous. Where you should definitely be going in." And all day long, she kept on alluding to this other audition, quote unquote, that she was she wanted to go to. So finally, it's like 11.30 at night, I'm sitting in the kitchen, and I finally said to her, I'm like, what is this, what is this other audition you're talking about? And she was like, oh, well, Warren Carlyle's doing um, a Broadway revival of On the 20th Century. And I said, what? She said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's like a big tapping musical. She was like, you should totally go in for it. And I was like, I didn't even know this was happening. And so I went on the Equity website, I saw the posting, and I said, oh my god, the ECC is tomorrow morning at 10. So I was like, forget Radio City, I'm going to this ECC for on the 20th century. Yes. So long story short, that's how it happened basically. Just out of the, and I, I would have missed the audition. I wouldn't have even known that it had happened. So like I didn't get an appointment for it and I didn't even know that the ECCs were happening until my roommate told me. And then like once again, serendipitously, she talked about it and I showed up at the ECC the next day. So that's the, and the ECC would be that, uh, Equity court. Uh, equity course call. Yes. Equity course mm -hmm. call. So it's an open call. Open call. So yep. I mean, you went to an open call. Open and, call. And booked it. Yes. That's amazing. It was crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I had I had worked with Warren before at Encores, so that helped a little bit, I guess. And right. I, my friend was running the call. A, a wonderful friend of mine was running the dance call, and she was beautiful and. She wasn't um, so wonderful that she didn't call you in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't even know if that. I don't even know if she knew. But, I'm joking. So no. So yeah. So she was there, and I, she clearly was looking out for me, which was so wonderful, and I'm grateful to her as well for that. So cool. Yeah. Well, before we get to talking about on the 20th century, yeah. um, two questions. Yeah. 
did you like being a swing? Because it's really hard. I mean, did you, because you're so <laughs> computer nerdy and everything like that, did you write everything down? So it's a big yes and it's a big no. Mm. Um, because of my, um, if you're not picking up, I might have some anxiety issues. <laughs> um, it's funny, I'll have anxiety like throughout the process of swinging and when I'm studying, but when it comes time to actually go on, I'm like, oh, okay, this is fine. Like, when it, like once you like have to put on the mic and the costumes, like of course you have that. Me and my friend, uh, my other friend Drew, we call it swing diarrhea. Um, you do get the swing, the, the swing diarrhea when you get that call that like, oh, you're going on today or that text. Yeah. Um, that's the other funny thing is that sometimes it's just a casual text that's like, hey, so-and-so's out, you're going on. And you're like, oh my God, I'm going to poop my pants right now. But then you're like, okay, all right, show mode, let's do it. And then, so once I'm like actually going on, it's totally fine. And I have a great time. But, um, so yeah, so my no is, it's a really hard job. It's very, very, very hard to do. Oh, it's the hardest. And I also don't think that I have... There are some people who are incredible swings where they can look at it and they just know it and they do it. Yes. Um, and I don't have that brain. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't either. But what I do have on my side is I think that I have the work ethic and I also have um, the nature to study. I'm a studier and I also love, I love office supplies and I love staples and I love highlighters. And just I from love, your college I education. Yeah, I loved it. No, it was great. And like nothing makes me happier than like, being like, ooh, like I'm in this cafe and I'm drinking my coffee and I'm studying for like, my swing tracks. <laughs> I do, yeah. But it's, I don't know, it's fun. Like I like making charts and I like drawing and I like breaking everything down and watching videos and seeing the big picture and recognizing the patterns. It's fun, it's like a puzzle and I love that aspect of it. And I, I do love studying. Even I swang, um, swang, I think that's they a word. Swung. I say it all the time and everyone's swang. always like, swang isn't a word. Yes. But I swung um, Elf for the second time this past season um, and I remember we were in like Springfield, Illinois, and our hotel was right across the street from a 24-hour IHOP, and I would get up at 6 o'clock in the morning every single day, and before tech, I would just sit in IHOP, and I would have my pancakes, and my bacon and eggs, and once again, lots of coffee, and I would just sit and type, and I would track. And it's what I have to do in, to, to force my brain through the show. So, I do. So, yes, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. I love it, and I hate it, and I've done it five times now. Wow. And I would absolutely do it again if someone asked me to do it. And I think that everybody in your career should do it once because, believe me, there are some people who do not know how to treat swings with respect, and it is so frustrating. Always but treat your swings with always, the utmost respect. Always, 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 because they're covering your ass. Yes. I and came up, well, my very yeah. first interview, we came up with um, if uh, the ensemble is the backbone of Broadway, that swings are the spinal cord. Yeah, yeah. And because uh, I guess a swing, if you don't know, it would they understudy the ensembles. So you'd be understudying eight people. Yeah. So uh, that's that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah, it is. So, so talking about Elf, did you like touring? Because that you're away from your home, you're in hotels, you're at IHOPs. Um, <laughs> I see. I love touring. I think it's great. Um, I love traveling. I also I got to do a significant amount of traveling in college which is another wonderful perk of not being a musical theater major. I ended up being a double major in international studies in Spanish, and I studied abroad for six months in Seville in Spain, and I backpacked all across Europe, um, and I also did service work in Thailand. I got to teach English at like this school in the middle of nowhere for four weeks over my Christmas break. Like I have had these like, I love putting myself in, uh, I love stepping outside my comfort zone. I'm also a huge foodie, um, so I, the, I think the greatest part of touring is 
finding out all the really awesome, like no, that's great true. places to eat that's incredible food. Um, so I, I think it's great. I love it. And they're like I, the type of guy that someone brings home with their mother. Because oh, you're like, no, you so are. Sweet. You're like well-rounded <laughs> and smart, and like I'm like, I'm like, wow, I didn't know any of this. Oh, no wonder good. Jenny said, interview him. Interview Thank you, Jenny. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's great. And um, also, you you can't forget that although Broadway is based in New York City, there are some of the most incredibly beautiful theaters spread out across the country. You'll show up in the most random city in the middle of nowhere, and they have a stunning theater. Oh, and all you think is where. Where did this come from, and who comes here? Right. But we do. And some and of the so the Broadway theaters backstage are horrible. Oh yeah, yeah. horrible. Yep. Well, with your Broadway debut, it was the American Airlines Theater, which, which is beautiful because yes. it's, it's a newer theater. Yes. So how was it when you got that phone call? Oh man, um, <laughs> you know it's funny. It was so. This is a funny story. Um, it was actually accidentally a text, is how it happened. What? So um, yeah. So my friend Sarah. Um, was uh, she was originally the associate on the show and she was there at the final callbacks and so we had the final callbacks we finished everything and I remember leaving the room thinking like that felt it felt right sometimes you have those auditions mm-hmm. and it just feels right I wasn't 100% sure if I booked it because I didn't think that that would actually ever happen so I still had that self-doubt of like I don't know if this will really ever happen and then it did but um, I just felt so good about it and I thought that it was going to happen and it, my brother had just gotten married and he was living in New Jersey at the time and my other brother lives in Brooklyn. And so I, as a wedding gift, was having my sister-in-law, my brother, and my other brother over for dinner. So I finished the audition, I went to Fairway, I bought all my food, I went home, I'm in the kitchen, I'm chopping vegetables. Um, and then my friend Sarah texted me. And she said, hey, you were beautiful today, congratulations, I'm so proud of you. And I, I was, it was so sweet of her, but I also thought that was the like, I love you, but it's not going to happen this time. Like, I thought that was, that was the gist of the text that she was sending. Right. And so my heart just sank, and I was so upset. And I just kind of pushed through, and I was like, okay. I was like, thank you. Like, thank you so much. That's so sweet. That means the world. And then, like, ten minutes later, she sends me another text that says, are you so excited? With a million exclamation points. And I thought, oh, my, what? Oh, my God. What, what, are you, what are you talking about? So I texted her, and she said, oh, wait, have you not heard anything? And I said, no. And she said, oh, well, okay, this is so awkward. This is incredibly awkward. And she said, you should call your agents right now. I think they have really good news for you. So then I started freaking out. I was pacing up and down the hallway. And I, I, so I said to her, I said, well, wait, I can't, I can't call my agents. I was like, they have to call me. Everyone waits an entire lifetime to get the call. Oh, right. I was like, I can't wait an entire lifetime to give the call and say, maybe <laughs> hypothetically, I might have booked a Broadway show. So I'm pacing in my kitchen, like trying to chop vegetables, and I don't know what to do. And I'm running up and down the hall, and nobody was home. So I couldn't talk to you about it with anybody. Um, and so finally, Sarah said, you're adorable but I think you should call your agents. And so I said, don't worry, I'm just gonna wait it out. I think it's like, I'm fine. And um, sure enough, an hour later, my phone rings. It was an, it was an eternity, it felt like. Phone oh rings. God, yeah. It's a lot of vegetables. Yeah, it was a lot of vegetables. So the phone finally rings, it's a number I didn't know. And I was like, hello? And it was Warren. Warren picked up the phone and decided to personally call me, which was by far one of the sweetest gestures I think anyone's ever done for wow. me so far. And he said, he said, is this, is this Drew? And I said, yes. He said, is this the Drew King? And I said, yes. And he said, is this I'm making my Broadway debut, Drew King? Oh my God. And I said, ah. Of course I screamed and I cried. And 
he was fine. so very sweet and he said congratulations that I'm, I couldn't have been happier to give this opportunity to you um, he's like you're going to dance on the Tony Awards you're going to be with Kristen Chenoweth um, this is going to be a beautiful experience and he said you've worked so hard and you deserve this more than anybody and congratulations and I'm so happy to have this opportunity for you basically he just said now hang up the phone and go call your mother and let her know you're going to be on Broadway and it was a crazy call yeah, I that is so kind of him. Yeah, it was very sweet, very, very, very sweet, and I'll never forget that phone call at all. On the 20th Century was just I saw it and I absolutely loved it. You were you were amazing. Oh, thank you. And I had actually done that um, actress. The fun actress fun, yes. And I was a porter back in my youth. Uh, you guys did such a great job. Thank you. You really thank were you. like the heartbeat of the show. Thank you. How was the whole experience of doing that? Um, it feels like a dream. Um. It's kind of crazy. Um, everybody who was in the show, majority of the cast um, were all Broadway veterans, um, and some of them even having like 10 or 11 Broadway credits under their belt, just like true, true Broadway gypsies. Um, and working with them, everybody was, uh, they kept on laughing to me and saying, man, you're, you're so spoiled that this is your first Broadway show. And of course, like the first, everyone says the first is always the greatest. Oh, it and is. I truly believe that with this experience. And it was uh, certainly one of the, the most incredible shows I've ever been involved in in my entire career. It's just, I feel coincidental that it happened to be my Broadway debut. Right. Um, it was beautiful. It felt like a beautiful storybook wrapped up with a beautiful bow. It was, um, every single person in the cast was outstanding and beautiful and spectacular and kind and generous and welcoming and outrageously talented. Um, and the sets, the costumes, um, the designs, of course, the direction and the beautiful choreography, um, everything about it was lovely. And then for me, I hit like 18 million bucket list things that I wanted to do um, in one swoop, which is crazy. So I got to originate a role in a Broadway revival. I was in an original Broadway company. I'm on the poster. I'm on the cast recording. I'm on the cover of the cast recording. There's a picture of me in the booklet. And I'm such a musical theater geek. And oh, yeah. I, I used to, I remember I, when I was a kid, I was even, or when I was like a teenager, I was embarrassed to buy musical theater soundtracks. So I used to give my cash to my best friend, Mary Kate. And I would say, like, can you, go in, can you go in there and buy me, like, the 42nd Street soundtrack? <laughs> or can, can you buy me the Seussical soundtrack? She had to go in and buy them for me because I was too embarrassed to buy them. You but the Seussical soundtrack? Wow. Oh, I love It's one of my favorite musicals. Wow. Yes. Um, but, yeah, so I had, like, I, nothing made me happier than, like, getting that new Broadway cast album and then flipping through the booklet and, like, the way it smelled and it felt and putting it in and listening to the overture for those Broadway shows. It was, like my ticket, it was like my, my, my door to something that was, couldn't have been further away from me. And it, uh, so it was incredibly surreal and strange to do the cast recording. Oh yeah. And even more so to do the Tony Awards. That blew me away as well. I, like I remember sitting in my best friend's basement um, when I was a freshman in high school and she said, you should come over and watch the Tony Awards. And I said, what's that? I don't know what that is. She said, oh, it's uh, the theater awards for like Broadway shows. And I said, I don't want to watch an award show. That sounds awful. And so and sure enough, she invited me over. And it was the summer that uh, like I think 42nd Street had come out. And maybe, I'm, maybe it's all blurring together. But um, I remember it was definitely 42nd Street. And I remember they had that epic Tony Awards opening oh, yes. where they tapped on like the subway and they, they, they like tapped out onto the street and then they ran down the yeah. aisles. Yeah, they ran down the aisles in Radio City and then they had that awesome, awesome 
production number. And I remember seeing that and I, I thought I was going to vomit glitter. Like I didn't, like, I just was like, oh, what is this? I need to do this with my life. And so to be able to, to perform on the Tony Awards, like I, I, I was incredibly sick to my stomach because I was so scared. Oh, it's But it was so also scary. such a rush and it was amazing. So everything about the show, it just, it, it was a joy going to work every, every single day. I couldn't have been happier. And it still feels like it didn't happen. It felt like right. a dream. So. Well, not to take this on a down note. No. But Roundabout is a limited run. Yes. So the show closes. It was, uh, I mean, a huge success. Yeah. And how do you maintain that high and, like, excitement when now it's been a year and it's, you know, I mean, and you're trying to recapture that and you didn't, you didn't yeah. book another Broadway show yet. There's always yes. the yet. <laughs> but still, like, now you're back to, you know, being frustrated and being anxious. And yes. And you jokingly are like, oh, I'm in therapy a lot now. <laughs> I am too. Trust me. Yeah, no, it's, here's the thing. I definitely had a six-month rut. Um, I think we closed in July, July 19th we closed. And then probably not until like January did I really get my act back in shape. I think I, I was always such a class taker. And I wanted to take every class that I possibly could, an acting class, 18 million dance classes, go to voice lessons. I was always that person. I had that drive and I loved it. And the second the show closed, I just had no drive. I had no motivation. I didn't want to go to auditions. I didn't even want to go to appointments. Um, and I never anticipated that. I didn't anticipate it whatsoever. Even when like the show was closing and we knew that it was closing from day one. Right. It was a limited run. Um, so it was nobody's fault. It's just that um, I think for me, I had, I had planned my whole youth or like my teenage years thinking my goal and my dream is to dance on Broadway. And not once did I ever um, <laughs> think of what comes after that, which I guess realistically, or um, you should just think, oh, well, I'll book another Broadway show or I'll keep working. My goal was never, I want to be a long-term working actor. My goal was, I want to book a Broadway show and dance on a Broadway show. Right. And I never planned for anything after it. And so when it ended, I said, oh, I did it. And it happened. Yeah. What do I do now? And I freaked out. I didn't know if I should pack my bags and move. And like, like, was it time to career transition? Was it? Wow. Especially were... because I had no, I had no motivation. Like all of my drive had just vanished, um, which I never expected. And it, that's just not my personality. And um, fortunately, I think the universe once again uh, brings you in and out of places you need to go. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Um, I listen to her TED Talks all the time. Um, she's an incredible speaker, but she has this, um, she talks about her experience with the book, Eat, Pray, Love, that then became a movie. Um, she talks about it saying that in, with every incredible, beautiful high of an experience, it always comes with an incredible, beautiful low. Mm. And we kind of live our lives on a status quo, and then we're constantly fluctuating back and forth between incredible highs and incredible lows. And it, but the chemical reactions in your body that you have from these, these super highs are actually the same chemical reactions that are going on in your body when you're super low or super depressed. Um, and she said that and it kind of made everything click for me that I had had this more or less a, like a year of nothing but overflowing on a high. Everything, everything was happening. We were getting such great like accolades and everyone loved the show. Um, I was working with beautiful people. My family and my friends were so proud and excited and then it all just went away and then there was nothing and it was silence um, and so I kind of hit my rock bottom a little bit which I didn't anticipate 
Um, but one thing that I took from the, these TED Talks that I listened to from Elizabeth Gilbert, um, she says, at the end of the day, um, you have to remember you always have to go back to your craft. And I think it was probably in like January, I don't know why, but I'll, like one day I woke up and I said, oh my God, I have to go back to class. And it was actually part with my therapist actually forcing me saying, clearly you're happy when you're sweating and you're inside your body and you're on a path and you're in class. So go, go take a dance class. And I finally went and I got back on my feet and I went back to Broadway Dance Center and to Steps and to City Center and you know, I got back into class and now I feel leaps and bounds happier and better and I feel so much more complete because I'm on a path and I'm back on training again. So for me, what I learned from those for, you know, with that TED talk, um, was that at the end of the day, like we all have ruts and we all have highs, but you always have to return to your craft, always. And you should always, and another friend of mine who's another Broadway gypsy, who you should interview, by the way. If, do you know Vasti Mumpoint? I do not. She is genius and she's brilliant. Um, and I strive every day to be like her, but she's uh, doing SpongeBob. Uh, so she's about to go into rehearsals for SpongeBob. Oh, school. okay. But uh, she just also started her own business called Broadway Babysitters. But she's Oh, also, I saw that on the Facebook. Yeah. So she's somebody who I strive to be because she's a lifelong student. Every day she's in class. She goes to a dance class. She's always in an acting class. She's monitoring acting classes. She's picking up a new instrument and trying to new learn instrument. She's trying to do sketch comedy. She's trying to write. She's trying to, now she's opening a business. She's somebody who every single day, she wants to be a student and she wants to learn and she wants to educate herself. And so here I am in classes reading 18 self-help books and trying to dig inside and understand who I am. And um, I think it's, that's what's also an incredible luxury that we even as actors have that time to do so. Yes. The fact that you can balance your survival jobs but also live a life of studying and learning and always asking and seeking is what kind of like got me back on track. And I feel so fortunate for that. The universe and my friends and other outside artists have inspired me to like get back on track again. So here I am. Back to auditions and back, back to, to the gym and Absolutely. back to class and And what's amazing though is for the next time you're in a show that closes mm -hmm. and you get off track again, now you know how to get back on. Yes, exactly. You know, and exactly. it won't take you four months next time. It might take you three. Yeah. Exactly. You know, because each time will get yep. shorter. Trust True. me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I get off track all the time. It happens. I know. It, it does. I know. It's scary. Well, th I'm so, this was a great interview because also uh, I do one of my survival jobs. I teach um, for uh, Camp Broadway. Mm -hmm. And I, so this podcast also is going to be used to educate young, you know, young teenage girls because they rule the world. And uh, <laughs> little, little boys who are afraid to buy the cast albums and have yeah. their friends do it. So it's like these are the next people that are yeah. coming to see Broadway shows, be in Broadway shows, yeah. educate Broadway shows, and your story is so inspiring because you didn't give up, you know? Yeah, I, I don't think for me, the funny thing is it just was never an option. I don't know how or why, it's just I never, I, even when I had a bad audition, it was, oh, okay, like just, uh, just I always had my, I always, after every audition, I always had my, bad, my backpacked with my ballet tights and my ballet shoes because I knew that if I got cut, I had to go to a class. Wow. Because I didn't want to go home and sulk and eat ice cream because then I would just feel horrible. No. So it's, yeah, it's just about, it, like giving up wasn't an option. I just wanted, because I wanted to be here because I love it. Yep. You have to love it, which you do. And oh, goodness, so many yes. people out there, and those are the people who persist in this business are the people who love it. Yep. So. Because it doesn't uh, always pay the bills sometimes. No, it, it doesn't. But it does mm -hmm. always pay your soul. Yeah.
Absolutely. I so, completely agree. And that was very cheesy of me, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to end it on that. But if you had to pick a song from your whole career that you would love to play on as the credits roll on this podcast, what would it be? A song for, from my career? Yes. I thought Life is Like a Train from On the 20th Century. That is perfect. Because, like we sang in the song, life really is like a train. There's stops and there's new people and you're constantly traveling to new places and it's always a challenge, but at the end of the day, you just gotta keep going and keep chugging along because it's the only way to get by. Okay, that's what I was looking for. Uh, there I it put, is. I put you on the spot. <laughs> Wasn't it Robert Fulton who said, life is like a train? No, it wasn't, he said, life is like a boat. Wasn't it Isaac Newton who said, life is like a train? No, it wasn't, he said, life is like an apple. Wasn't it Lord Chesterfield who said, life is like a train? No, it wasn't, he said, life is like a coat. Then who said it? Who said it? We did! We did! Ha ha ha! Ho ho ho! Ha 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 ha! Life is like a train! Life is like a train! And aren't we lucky to be making the right to Like an apple. Life is like a train. 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 Life is like a T. Life is like an R. Life is like an A. Life is like an I. Life is like an N. Life is like a train. Life is not a boat. Life is like a train. Life is not a coat. Life is like a train.